is Charles Chrisopulli and I am the pastor of Uni Hill Church. Thanks for tuning in to this week's presentation. Our goal is to see people trained for life. So we pray that this message strengthens your faith and moves you one step closer to Jesus. If you need any information, ways to connect or more of our messages, you can find them on our website at unihillchurch.com.au. Have a great week. A father and son combination, which is very cool. I'll give a little bit of context to all that. So everybody, uh, for those of you um, uh, that may not know, obviously today is Father's Day. That's not what you won't know. Uh, but we wanted to we wanted to go with the theme really around leaving leaving a legacy or leaving your mark or having an influence beyond your time. And one of the greatest and most practical ways you can do that is uh, with your children. Um, so we have up here today um, a very special guest. This is uh, Jesse Murray. Now, what's uh, incredible about Jesse is, and it's a real honour that you're with us uh, today. Jesse is the Victorian and Tasmanian. Uh, Hillsong Youth and Young Adult Pastor. Uh, he's uh, oversees five locations and they're about to launch another two uh, in the coming future. Uh, but what's really important is that he is the son of Pastor Greg and Sue Murray and the little brother of uh, Melissa and Emily Murray. Um, so he's let's nearly, give him a hand. nearly as good looking as me. He's nearly as good nearly. looking. He I, I did have a beard, so you can see from the photos, I used to have a beard as well. Yeah. And like Jesse, you, Charles. He has incredible beard game, actually. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's a consistent colour. Mine is yes. mine is vibrantly, vibrantly changing. So um, <laughs> what we want to do is we're going to ask a few questions. I, I just want to have some fun. I really, the goal of this interview is uh, I want you guys to be able to see how they interact as father and son, get to know Jesse a little bit more, uh, and then we're going to let uh, Pastor Jesse bring the word. So we'll start with you, Jesse. Tell me what it was like to have... Uh, Greg as your father and growing up uh, in the same household? Yeah, it was really tough, to be honest. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> Firstly, it's awesome to be here. Big thanks for having me. But um, look, we were outnumbered in our household. We were always the only two males. We, I have two sisters that are identical twins, so I always felt like I was on the outer already. And, and the youngest. And the youngest. And even our dog was a female. Exactly. So there was just the two boys in the house. So we had to have a strong bond, you know. Is that why you both had beards? Yeah, that's, that's probably why. <laughs> well, we didn't have beards at the same time. because uh, that's, true. that's true, actually. I couldn't grow a beard when I was young, but I asked Dad to bring back the beard now, but he doesn't want to. All right, let's take a vote. Who wants Greg with a beard? No. no. Who doesn't no. want Greg with a beard? Uh, I feel let, like the beard won, man. Let me just say, in the kingdom of God, it's a theocracy, not a democracy. So oh. I, I look 10 years older if I put a beard back on. It's That's all why great. you don't argue with Pastor Greg. <laughs> Boom. So how was it like growing up with him? No, it was great. And um, we, to be real, like have so many fun memories. I think because of that, because we were the only males in our house, we just... Um, would always hang out. Um, I just remember kicking the footy, going to the footy was a big part of it. We have this bond around movies. We always would just watch movies together. We both love movies. And it was great. I mean, I and really... Food. And food. And food. 
as you can tell. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we actually had a really strong bond and still do today. And one of the things I love about my dad is that he really is so humble. He's the most humble guy I know, always putting others first and never making it about him. And even our family today, you know, classic example is what should we get dad for Father's Day? And he's like, I don't need anything. I've got what I need, which is my family, which I think is a pretty great uh, part about his life. Awesome. That's amazing. Greg, why don't you tell us about Jesse? Well, when Jesse was born, he... Um came out of the shoot very early and very quickly. Sue went into Sue went into labour. What time was it? about eight o'clock in the morning? Eight ten in the morning, and he was there for lunch. So that tells you something. He still turns up for food uh, these days. But uh, he look he we, we have three children, so Melissa and Emily. And Melissa's here today, and also actually Jesse's wife Chanel's here. Welcome Chanel. Um, yeah, give her a give her a round of applause as well. Look, Jesse always had a great personality. I remember when he was born, um, I nicknamed, his first nickname was Conehead. And that's because the three plates on his head were pointed. Um, but he was always so happy, wasn't he, Sue? He was always joyful. And uh, he had a great fold of skin as a baby right here. So I used to push it down and call him a Klingon. And he'd sit in his bouncing net all happy that I called him a Klingon and respond as if he was always joyful. So he was, he was a great kid, always. That's beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. Hey, uh, conehead means something else these days, yeah, Pastor no, Greg, just so you're aware. We won't say that. Um, so what I want to do is I've got these uh, to, gi to give to you. They're, they're uh, look, uh, to be honest, I have no idea uh, what they are. Now, what I've done is I've grabbed... Our, our, our African friends might know what they are. Yeah. Our South African friends will probably know as well. So, so it's, a, yeah. it's an African yeah. golf club. No, it's not. An, it's actually a... Well, where we bought these from were in Kenya. And uh, they're a Maasai weapon, so they throw them um, to protect their tribes. And there's a, a little dimple right on the top. You can't really see it, but it's designed to practice golf. Oh, so, and they can throw them with incredible accuracy. I do throw golf clubs. Yeah, so um, no, true. it's working well. So what I wanted to talk about there is that obviously we know Pastor Greg lives and breathes missions. And that when Jesse was about 12 years old, you actually took him to Africa with yes, you. Why don't you guys share about what that experience was like together? Is I remember asking Dad, and Dad, growing up, Dad would always head overseas and go to Africa, and um, yeah, it was just part of us, you know, growing up. We knew that's what Dad did. And one year, I asked, "Can I go? Can I go with you?" And finances weren't, you know, they were they were just tight. And so Dad said, "Well, you can come if you raise the money." And I think he kind of put it out there, not thinking I actually would. And um, I said, "Okay, challenge accepted." So I would um, sell chocolates at church. A lot of people here actually were some of the biggest supporters of That's that. Right. Uh, that, that. Yeah, your supporters are here today, some so, of them. So, you know, and it went and from... And Cabri, Cabri supported the It went the from, uh, yeah, Tony, Tony Bell yeah, supported yeah, the Tony's cause, here. donated the chocolates, and the chocolates started at like a dollar or two, but then some people would give me $50, $100 for a chocolate, to support the cause and um, I remember I was, uh, I needed 3,000 and I was at 2,500. I had a little uh, like little chart that I would fill in and um, it was the Monday before we were going and dad kind of made it out like, you know, look, if you don't raise the money, I don't think you can come. Which looking back, the tickets were obviously bought. <laughs> But I was like, I, I was like, this is do or die. Like, if I don't raise this this 500, I'm not going. And so um, I remember speaking at my school assembly that day. 
and saying I was going and I still needed $500. And that day I got home from school and there was $1,000 in the letterbox um, and it just had my name on it. And even to this day, we don't know. Mum and Dad say it wasn't them and um, we still don't know exactly who it was. But um, yeah, it was a great miracle. And I mean, if you're in this room, thank you. Um, it was, it wasn't us. It wasn't, definitely was not Sue and I. And um, the cool story through that is like that, that trip for me was a real, I, I think, kind of um, game changer in my life. Like uh, a really trip I look back on and I think it framed a lot of the way I saw my, the rest of my teenage years. You know, that extra $500 actually, um, dad said to me, okay, you hit your goal. I think he was shocked. He said, that, well done, but you can't use the excess money for yourself. You've got to figure out what you want to do with it but you've got to make sure you do something with it. And when I was there, I met three boys exactly the same age as me, and we actually got quite close over the few days. And um, Dad was pretty relaxed. Lucky Mum wasn't there. Very um, lucky. I would go off with these guys till like all hours of the night, and I was like 12, 13, come back. Dad's like, where you been? I'm like, well, we've just gone around the whole village. Um, and well, actually, <laughs> there's more to the story. So... The, lo the local bishop that, that was hosting us, he, he'd take me to different villages to um, to speak, and we did, you know, parenting and leadership stuff. And Jesse would stay in the village we were living in uh, with these boys. So, like, I was gone from 7.30 in the morning, wouldn't get home till 9.30 at night, get home to his house, the bishop's house at 9.30 at night. Jesse's not there. So I'd say to Bishop Isaac, where's Jesse? Oh, he's off having dinner somewhere with some family. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm glad his mum's not here. <laughs> then, he, then he turns up like 10.30 at night, and I say, what did you do today, Jesse? Oh, we went down to the river fishing. I thought, oh, no. Like, we're any adults? No, just the four of us boys. So, but and I, I became close with these boys, and in the end um, was able, long story short, to be able to supply them with three months' worth of food for their families. And that, ex that excess money. They were money. very poor families. Yeah, and like, those few days were incredible. Just, I mean, we went fishing, but the backstory is, like... Uh, I bought some sticks from a local store and some string and they taught me like how to make a rod and uh, we built a soccer ball together by buying some plastic bags and rope and it was a really incredible day to really just see how blessed we really are and you know we live in an incredible country and I know we still have needs and, and all that but we really are blessed here to live in a place one, like one this. Of the, one of the incredible touching things is when the, the church that we had a long-term relationship with in Kenya and and still have contact with. Um, it's in a, in a very small village in western Kenya. When they heard um, that I, as his father, didn't pay for his ticket and he had to trust God and raise the money himself, the last Sunday we were there, the bishop gets him out, who's 12, in front of the whole church and told them the story. You know, he said, you think all white people have money, but this boy raised the money, came here himself, trusted the Lord. And spontaneously, people came out and started putting money at his feet. So these are very these are people that have one or two dollars a day to live on, and the pastor was saying he gave Jesse a basket and said hold this basket, and people were putting bananas in there because they didn't have any money but they had some food on them, and it was very touching and moving to see that order, you know that sort of genuine response around his faith and trust in God. Do you reckon it was important to expose him to that kind? Yeah, of Yeah, it was always sort of part of um, my plan as a parent for all of our three children is to include them in actually believing God for certain things that it's, you don't have to be an adult for God to answer your prayer or to step out in faith and in fact often children can lead the way 
because they're very childlike and they have, they have an incredible trust in God. And so, you know, Jesse did what he wanted to do in terms of raising funds, but it actually really, we have many miracle stories over the years at Every Church, but that was one of the ones that really helped shape him as well. Wow, wow. Now, our time is, is moving quickly. It just, so I want to just quickly just set up one more, the weapons, one more scene. Yeah, I had the golf club. So um, what we're going to do, Jesse, do you mind standing up just for a moment? I just yeah, want to set fine. up a scene. If you just stand about there. Greg, if you don't mind um, standing about there, I want you to face each other if possible. Um, and then come a bit closer. Uh, could you lift your hands up there? Do you mind? Just that's good. I just want to relive a scene that you guys told me about. I'll just let me just make it accurate to the household. Just make sure that that's, that's currently draped there. Uh, there was no reason for this stuff, but we'll pray for them after. Um, so we'll leave that there. So you guys told me about a scenario that went down that I think is a great picture of your relationship growing up. Why don't you explain what happened here? Do you want to tell the story? You tell the story. So uh, one of the things I did as a father, so I didn't have a father. I don't know my dad at all. And so one of the things that was always in my heart when I became a parent, um, even when we first had the twins, because Jess is the youngest out of the three, is to actually keep a strong emotional relationship. So I would always muck around with my kids. I was one of those dads that always had a lot of fun. So one day we got a couple of um, rolls from the ex-Glad Rap sort of box and we're having sword fights. Jesse was in this pirate craze, you know what I mean? So he used to get dressed up as a pirate, had a patch, all that to go, Arr, all that sort of stuff. So we're having sword fights around the house, right? We're with these, with these things like this. And we're, I'm chasing around the house, he's chasing me around the house. And I go to actually stab him with my cardboard um, pole and to not get whacked, he sticks his bum like that, but he's right next to the window and sticks his bum through the window, cuts himself. So we have rude photos of him bleeding uh, from behind. But that's really what happened, right? It was cruel. It was cruel. That had to You're win. You're still smiling in the, in the photo. <laughs> like, like I said, all dads want to win. In the photo I've got of him with him bleeding, he's going... It's not cruel. He was having a great time. Ah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So final sort of question as um, yep. Pastor Jesse gets prepared. I actually want to ask you, um, Greg, I think there are a lot of people in the room uh, that are here that are either parents or guardians or uncles or aunties. Uh, maybe they're a, a sibling. The question I want to ask is what input would you give uh, a parent or a guardian sitting in here today? What advice would you give them? Well, I think um, whether you're a biological parent or not, because, of course, Father's Day raises a whole range of emotions for different people, so including myself not knowing my dad. But, you know, for me personally, what one of the things that I was determined to do was to deal with my own dysfunctions and issues. Because when I, um, when I married Sue, uh, I had to learn quickly, and then we, we had children two years later with, with Melissa and Emily, learn quickly that, that actually my dysfunctions and my faults had to be dealt with because otherwise I was going to pass them on to my children. And I didn't know how I was going to do that at the stage, but that's one of the sort of core values that's always driven me is I don't want to pass on to my kids some of the issues that I had to deal with. But that means then I have to be open and honest enough. You know, I, had, I talked to some peers around dealing with some of my stuff. And, and even when they were babies, I was starting to on this journey. And so, but I was intentional about it probably the best way to explain it being very intentional in the aspects you don't like about yourself or you know that they're negative or they'll be damaging for the next generation you have to really be intentional the other thing for me i sort of flagged just a moment ago 
is I always wanted to have a strong emotional relationship with my children. Um, before I was a parent, um, I worked for Teen Challenge, which is a drug alcohol rehabilitation. Um, and we used to, I used to work in St Kilda. And some of the kids, the teenagers that I was dealing with before I was a parent in um, counts, drug counselling and, and running the program, is part of their issue was they were so disconnected from their mum and dad. And their mum and dad were nice people, but they didn't have a real strong emotional relationship. And so, again, just before I became a parent, I remember talking to Sue around, from what I was learning through the job I was doing, about parenting, how important it is to keep a strong relationship. And so, you know, like Jesse and I still go to the football. We've met Jackie there a few times at the football as well. Um, but, you know, just making sure that you always have time. I always made time for my family. Now, there were times where I was, you know, flat out, I couldn't be home, but then I would make up for it. So if I would go away uh, for work, I would write a card for every day I was away and pin it up on a, on a, on a string, and all of that, their children could read that card every day I was away. I even made back then cassette tapes with their favourite songs, dad jokes. You've got to mention dad jokes on the Father's Day, right? Um, because it was more about the relationship and not letting them suffer in my absence, but keeping that relationship strong. So th that's probably the, the things from my life that I've learned. Why don't we give them a hand? So what I want to do just quickly is we're just going to pray as uh, Pastor Jesse and the team get prepared. So why don't everyone close their eyes as we, we pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you, uh, Lord, for Father Figures. Uh, I thank you, Lord, that uh, your requirement is not perfection, uh, Lord. None of us are perfect in how we parent or what we've done, but I thank you, Lord, that an authentic parent that loves Jesus and pursues a relationship with Jesus will have a godly influence on their family and those that they lead and encourage. So, Father, I pray for every family here today. Uh, Lord God, I think of uh, the children that are in this room that are maybe without a parent. I, I think of the parents in this room that may be without a child. I thank you, Lord God, that as believers in Jesus, we do not lose hope knowing that they are with you. But Lord, I pray that every person in this room knows that they can leave their mark, they can leave a legacy, and they can be an influence. We just pray for every person that they would leave today encouraged. Uh, bless Pastor Jesse as he brings the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is so good to be here. Can we give it up for the team as well? We did a great job. And I firstly just did want to honour Pastor Charles and April for allowing me to be here today. It is a huge honour and a privilege, and it's actually quite special. And um, yeah, something I've been looking forward to for a long time. And something I love about Pastor Charles is, you know, he just has a huge heart for people. He's always talking about, you know, even when I've caught up with him about how great he loves what he does and the people in this church. And so I think we should honour them and just give a big thanks to all they do and who they are. Another person I wanted to honour here today um, was actually, he's a big part of what I, what I do now, and um, the reason I do what I do, I should say now, and this guy was my youth leader, and he would constantly pick me up, um, drop me home, buy me food all the time. <laughs> I probably owe him a lot of money, a lot of petrol money as well, and that's Jason Hendry uh, at the back, and... Um, 
I, I say this a lot, but my goal is to be like what Jason was for me. You know, he was always available. He was always there. And we have some fun stories together. But I'm serious. I probably owe him thousands of dollars. So moving right along. But it's great to have my wife here as well. We've been married for two and a half years, Chanel. And we are loving life. And um, it's good to have the whole family is here as well. So it's good. It's good. Except for one. She is on holidays at the moment overseas in a much warmer part of the world. And I don't know about you, but does anybody feel like they could do a holiday right now? Like, it's the time of year that's really hard to get up. Like, you know, the gym routine that you had is just no longer there anymore. Some of you are like, what's the gym? But it's really hard to get up early now. It's cold. It just doesn't feel good. Melbourne, you never know what you're going to expect. Sometimes you go into church and it's sunny. You leave and it just feels like a storm has hit. And you're like, come on, Melbourne, what is going on? But... You know, I really believe that holidays, places, moments, they leave a mark on us. Sometimes a physical mark. You know, when we did get married just over two years ago, we went on our honeymoon to Europe. It was beautiful. We went to the city of love, Paris, and we had the best time ever. But one thing that I think my wife learned about me on that trip, the, the first few weeks of our marriage, was how Aussie I was. Because I love talking to people, I love having a conversation, sparking up a conversation, but no one could understand what I was saying. No one. And I had the most awkward encounters for trying to have conversations with people, and my wife would just look at me and sometimes laugh. And a few of them, one of them, when we were going into the hotel, he said, oh, well, I see you a bit later, this, this European man at the front desk. And I said, yeah, I'll see you later this Arvo. I said, yeah, mate, I'll see you later this Arvo. He said, excuse me, sir, could I help you get an avocado? He, he, he was so confused by what I was saying. He didn't understand me. And then we tried to do something you know, a bit romantic and go on a gondola ride, which is through Venice. You, you hop on one of the little boats. And I asked the guy, I wanted to know, how do you, like, how does that career happen? Like, what is the process of becoming a gondola driver? I don't know. That's just how I think. I'm like, is this something this guy's always dreamed of? Is this something he, like, dreamed at night? One day I'm going to be a gondola driver. And so I'm thinking about this. And so I, I turn around midway through our, our trip, and he's, you know, doing a great job directing. And I say, excuse me, sir, how would you get into this? He looks at me. He looks really confused. He looks at Chanel, really confused looks back at me and he goes, excuse me, sir, you saw me. I hopped into the boat. <laughs> he thought I was asking, how did you get into the boat? When really, I was asking him, no, 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 how did you get into this profession? And um, it happened the whole trip. But when we got back, people, they would say things like, wow, you look so tanned. I don't know if you've ever gone away and you come back and people go, wow, you look so tanned. And you know, that trip, it left a mark on us, a physical mark, because we were in the sun. But, you know, I think a whole lot of things in life leave a mark on us. People, places, moments, maybe encounters with God, they leave a mark on us. And the, today, as it's Father's Day, you know, the title of my message is The Power of Leaving Your Mark. The Power of Leaving Your Mark. And as it is Father's Day, you know, it is a day to celebrate a day to remember, a day to eat, 
and a day to eat some more, a day to show some love, a, a day to tell dad jokes, but that happens every day for a lot of you, a day to, uh, you know, enjoy each other's company and be full of joy, but the truth is it is also a hard day for some as well. You know, I have a really close friend of mine who lost his dad a year ago, and even today I just texted him and said, hey, I'm thinking of you, because I know today is going to be, you know, a day that that is tough. And I just wanted to encourage you, you know, if that is your story, that today maybe is a tough day for you. We're standing with you, we're thinking of you, and we're praying for you. But, you know, I don't know how the relationship with your father looks like, but I think one thing we could say is our fathers, they leave a mark on us. Our fathers leave a mark on us. But, you know, it's not just our fathers that leave our mark on us. Any parent, any person we look up to, they leave a mark on us. In fact, not just stopping there, but our friends and our family members leave a mark on us. The people we work with, they leave a mark on us. You know, I get the huge honor of being a youth pastor, but one thing that is so funny is you begin to see young people hanging out, and they begin to talk like one another. The people they hang out with, they begin to chat like one another. They begin to wear the same things. They begin to love the same stuff, the same music, the same movies. I don't know about you, but have you ever noticed that you start to talk the way your friends talk? You start to wear sometimes what your friends wear. You start to shop where your friends shop. See, I don't really think the question is if we leave a mark on people, because I think we would all agree that we do. The question I think this morning that we should ask is, what sort of mark are we leaving on people? Not just talking to the fathers in here, but every single one of us. What sort of mark are we leaving on people? What do people say about us? What do people think about us? And so this morning, we're going to look at the life of Moses for a, for a moment. And I really believe that it's going to be good. And so why don't you turn there, if you've got your Bibles this morning, in Exodus, Exodus 3. And the life of Moses. And to give you a little bit of a recap, you know, Moses, he, he, he was an outcast. He was living in Egypt as Egyptian royalty, but really he was born a Hebrew. And I know a lot of you would know the story, but we'll quickly recap it. He's born in a time where all boys that were born, they were murdered, they were killed. And so his mom, she hides him for a while, but it gets to the point where she can't hide him for any longer. So she puts him in a basket and floats him down the river. And Pharaoh's daughter, she finds this young boy, this young Moses, as a baby, and she chooses to adopt him. And so we get the picture that Moses, he grows up in Egypt, in not just, you know, living as an Egyptian, but living as royalty. But he wrestles with this. He has identity issues because he knows this isn't really who I am. And so one day, I know again, a lot of you would see, uh, would know this, you, you've heard the story before. If you haven't, you can just watch The Prince of Egypt this week. But it gets to a moment where Moses, he sees an Egyptian beating uh, a Hebrew man, a slave, and something inside of him says, that's not right. Something inside of him says, that's my people. Something inside of him gets upset and frustrated, and so he actually murders the man. He murders him and he hides him. And what ends up happening is he gets so afraid that word has spread. He gets so worried that, that Pharaoh will find out. He, he gets upset. And so what he does is he just bails. He runs. He, he goes and he builds a new life. And that is where we pick it up. You know, he goes and he marries the, the pastor's daughter of this town, the priest's daughter. 
and he, he has kids, and he lives a new life. And so Moses is, has ran away from Egypt, and so he's kind of gone from royalty to rural living. He, he's gone from living in a palace to now living in the desert. You could say he's gone from living in Melbourne to living in Sydney, you know, like. <laughs> and we pick it up in Exodus 3, verse 1. It'll come on the screens. But it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he, le- and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to take a look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses responds and he says, here I am. See, number one, the the number one point I want us to take out of this story is we don't have to be perfect to leave our mark. We actually don't have to be perfect to leave our mark. See, Moses was on the run. Moses was was not where maybe he thought he would be. You know, I don't think that was his like 10, 15 year plan of what he wanted his life to look like. I mean, Moses had murdered someone. Moses had ran. He'd started a new life. He'd created something for himself. And I love that God still comes and finds Moses. God still comes out and and sought and finds him and and speaks to him. And, you know, I really believe that the one of the saddest things about society is we think we have to fix ourselves before we can get to God. But I love that God flips that and says, no, I'm going to come to you no matter where you are. See, see, Moses, he's out in the wilderness. He's out far. He's probably doing what he just always did. He's tending the, the, the sheep. He's tending his flock, not even his flock, his father-in-law's flock. And he's out in the desert. He's probably unclean. He's probably dirty. He's probably just doing the mundane, the ordinary thing. And I love that it's in that moment that God shows up. And I want to encourage us here today. You know, God can show up any time in your life. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're going through, no matter how your week has looked like, I love that God can show up whenever He wants to show up. See, 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 I think it's interesting because sometimes we might feel like we're spiritually dry like we're in a wilderness. Maybe we might feel like we've done something that excludes us from being used by God. But I simply want to encourage us this morning that we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have it all together. We don't have to hide what's going on because God meets us exactly where we are at. See, I think we need to focus on the position of our heart rather than perfection. The Bible's clear that the heart, to guard your heart, to look after the heart, that from the heart everything flows. And I think sometimes we focus on the perfection part, on the, ex- on the outer, when really God's saying, no, where is the position of your heart? You know, I'll be real today, and um, I know a lot of you would know this, but maybe some of you think he is. My dad, he's not perfect. I know some of you are like, what? <laughs> my dad is not perfect, but what I love about my dad, he's always positioned his heart in the house of God. 
no matter what our family was going through, no matter what we might be facing, my dad has always said, you know what, I'm going to position myself in community. I'm going to position myself in the Word. And I want to encourage you, no matter what might be going on on the outer, why don't you make the decision, hey, you know what, I'm going to make sure the position of my heart is healthy. I'm going to make sure that the position of my heart is in community, is in church, is in the house of God. Because I really believe that God has marked you. God has marked you. No matter what you've done, no matter how you found yourself to be here, God, He has a plan and a purpose for your life. And sometimes it's not God that that has to do the convincing. It's sometimes we don't believe that over ourselves. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen the, uh, the statue by Michelangelo called David. It's huge. It's over five meters long. I think we have a photo of it. I cut out maybe some of the parts that were not appropriate for church. (laughs) But you know what's interesting about this is this was made from one solid block of marble. This was made by one solid block of marble. And we look at it today, and it is one of the most famous statues in the whole world. A lot of people know it. A lot of people, thousands and thousands and thousands visit it and see it and you know what's interesting about this is that we look at it now and say what a masterpiece we look at it now and say it's it's stunning it's beautiful and it is but what a lot of people don't know is that exact same block of marble was tried by many artists before and they said it has too many flaws in it they saw the exact same block of marble 50 years prior and said it could never be used for anything incredible because it has too many flaws in it But I love that Michelangelo, he saw differently. He saw differently. And sometimes we focus on our flaws. We focus on our imperfections. We focus on our regrets and our mistakes. But God's saying, no, I see differently. I'm calling you to more. I see a masterpiece. And I just want to encourage you as you allow God just to chip away at you, as you go on the journey and just keep showing up and being faithful, you watch what God can do in your life. As you just commit and go, you know what, I'm just going to be consistent in the house of God. You watch what God can do in your life as He just begins to chip away some of those things that, hey, I could never be used by God. You watch Him and, you know, you'll be looking back and going, wow, look what God has done in my life. See, people might see a mistake, but God sees you as called. People might see you as a failure, but, you know, God sees you as purposed. People might see you as hopeless, but God, he calls you out and he says you were chosen. What I love about Moses is Moses, he didn't, he didn't even have a dad. He didn't have a dad that was around. His mum wasn't even around too much. But that doesn't disqualify him from being used by God. You know, it's interesting because God, when he, when he encounters and, and comes and he finds Moses and Moses says, here I am, they actually have this quite long conversation with one another. And Moses, he begins to list the reasons of why he's not the guy. It's not just like God shows up and he calls out Moses and Moses is like, sweet, I've got this. I'm going to go and, you know, walk in what God's called me to. He continues, he goes, who am I that you'd call me? Then he goes, if I go, then they're going to do this to me. And he begins to list off excuse after excuse after excuse. You know, I'm I'm not the guy. I can't speak too well. Oh, please, God, would you send someone else? And we pick it up because something changes in Moses' speech. And I really want us to catch this. If we look at Exodus 4.18, it 
after he has this encounter with God, there's something that changes in his tone. He goes from saying, I can't, I could never, I'm not the guy. Five verses later, get this, Moses goes back to his father-in-law, Jethro, and he says this, I need to return to my relatives who are in Egypt. What shifted in Moses' mindset? See, I really believe, and number two, is leaving our mark is not about us. It's not about us. See, Moses had to get to a spot where he realized this is so much more than just for me. This isn't about me and my desires and my wants. No, leaving my mark, living the life that God has called me to do, it's actually about others. See, I love this because if you read through the, the scripture, you see that he goes from these excuses to something changes in his heart. Something changes in his speech. And he says that, goes, goes from saying, I can't, I could never, to I need to go back. I need to go back for my people. I need to go back to, to see how they're doing. I need to go back, not for me, but for them. And I really believe that Moses, see, he got a revelation that it's not just about him. He got a revelation that, you know what, it's actually about others. And I want to encourage us today, if we are going to leave our mark, we have to get that same revelation that, you know what, sometimes there is going to be a sacrifice. You know what, sometimes there is going to be some things that our, our, our wants and our desires that we have to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to put them aside for a moment and follow what God has called me to do. You know, I think about all dads, and one of the biggest thing I think we love our dads is because they sacrifice so much. I, I know there's many dads in here, and even in the seen and in the unseen, the amount of sacrifice that dads do is, is huge. Maybe not as much as mums, but, but, no, no, we love our mums and our dads, but as a sacrifice. And you think about any person that's left a mark on society, any person that has left a mark on our generation or the generations gone, there's always been an element of sacrifice. And I want to encourage us today, you know, sometimes if we want to leave our mark, and not just for us, but for the generations to come, there is an element of sacrifice. We have to say, okay, God, I'm in. God, I'm in. You know, if we put it in a really spiritual way, I don't know if you like footy, okay? Does anybody here like footy? I know Charles does. Big game coming up this Thursday night. Please be uh, fasting and praying for the Essendon Football Club this week. We need it. We need it. <laughs> We need it, but uh, <laughs> Charles is going to run a prayer meeting on Wednesday for Essendon, <laughs> but you know, something that really stood out to me last year is um, Tom Mitchell, when he won the Brownlow, obviously that night is, it's a big night, celebrated, and he got up there and he took the award, and they interviewed his girlfriend, his partner, and she said this, and it really stood out to me, because I think sometimes we can see Maybe, you know, the, the, the two, three hours of a game and go, wow, those players are good. Or maybe we think, no, they're not that good, um, but they're getting better. Carlton Football Club, they're getting better. But she said this. She said, you know, a lot of people see, you know, Tom Mitchell and they see, you know, the game day and, or they see an award like this. But what people don't know is even on his days off, he heads down to the club and he does the drills and the skills that no one else does. And I, I thought about that for a moment and thought, wow, there, obviously he's a great player. He, he is a phenomenal player. But there's an element of sacrifice that people don't see that he puts in extra work. And I think anyone who makes an impression, anyone who leaves a mark, a legacy, 
there's always an element of sacrifice attached to that. There's always an element of sacrifice in the seen and in the unseen. And I want to encourage us today, let not hinder from sacrifice, but I wonder if we'd ask God, God, what are you doing? God, what are you asking me to do? God, what do I maybe have to walk into or step into this week? God, what are you asking me to follow? God, what are you asking me to let go of? Because I really believe if we can get that same heart, hey, you know what? Leaving my mark, it's not about me. It's actually about the people I can reach. Can you imagine even in this room, if this week we all just had that heart? God, what are you using me for in my workplace? God, what are you using me for in my university? God, what are you using me for in my high school? Maybe I have to sacrifice my feelings for one day to invite someone to church. Maybe I have to sacrifice maybe what people would think of me to go, hey, you know what? I'm thinking of you. I'm praying for you. I don't know what it is for you, but I think there's an element of sacrifice that we all should carry. And number three, as we read on, and the team can join me, we're going to pray for people in a moment. But number three is our mark is not just seen today, but it's seen in the generations to come. Our mark is not just seen today, but it's seen in the generations to come. See, after Moses has that conversation and says, I need to go back, I need to go back to to the people of Egypt in Exodus 4.20. It says this, so Moses, he took his wife and sons, put them in his forward drive. No, 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 put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. See, I love this this picture right here of a father putting his family on on the donkey, holding the staff of God that he he had from the encounter he had with God and saying, God, we're going to step out. God, we're going we're gonna to go on this journey. I don't even really think he realized what was ahead of him. And a lot of us know what happens, and it's a long journey. It's not a short journey. It's actually quite a long story. But I wonder if Moses realizes in that moment, as he just begins to step out, what actually is ahead of him. And I love the picture of Moses in, in that moment as a father saying, hey, you know what? Right now, we're just going to trust God. Right now, we're just going to be obedient to what God has asked us to do as a family. See, and it was a huge mission to, to rescue the, the, the people out of slavery. It was a huge mission, and I'm sure we know he, he had his doubts, he had his fears, he, he wasn't too sure, but he trusted God. He trusted God. Hey, if God has called me to this, if, if God needs me to do this, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to trust him and he didn't do anything maybe spectacular or crazy. He just put his family on a donkey, grabbed the staff of God and continued just to walk to what God has asked him to do. And it makes me think the decisions that we make today actually could change a generation's future. That decision to say, hey, you know what, I'm actually just going to step out and start the journey towards Egypt, that had a generational impact. That changed millions of people's lives because one man decided, hey, you know what? I'm not perfect, but God's called me to it. Hey, you know what? Uh, I don't have it all together, but that's okay because God, he, He's called me to do this. Hey, He got that revelation. You know what? It's not just about me. I'm willing to sacrifice. And the third thing is He made the decision to be obedient to what God had asked Him to do. See, I wonder if Moses realized that 
decision and how big it was. But I ask us the same question. What are the decisions today that we could make that we might think are small, but actually have generational impact? Maybe today, you know, you're like, today's the day in a moment we're going to pray for people. Maybe it's going to be the day you recommit, or maybe for the first time, ask God to be the Lord of your life. Ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. You know, that could have a generational impact on your family, not just now, but in the years to come. Maybe for you, you just got to make a decision. I've been coming to church every now and then, but today's the day I'm making a decision to be consistent. And that could have generational impact in not just your life, but the people around you. Maybe today you've got to make the decision, maybe over lunch, to forgive. Maybe that could have generational impact of relationships restored. Maybe today you've got to make a decision, I'm just going to love those people. I'm just going to show love and grace and hope. Because maybe they might, the people maybe even after church that we're going to see might not know Jesus, but I'm the closest thing to Jesus that they'll ever meet. And I'm just going to show love and grace towards them. See, I think the decisions we make today have generational impact in the future. You know, I'm thankful for my dad. Because as you heard, and as some of you know, he didn't have a father. Yet he made a decision when he was 16 years old. I'm not going to repeat what has happened to me. When he was a teenager, when he was 16 years old, he had an encounter. He grew up kind of knowing about God, but made a decision to follow Him. And at a young age, he decided he was going to read and research scriptures about what it means to be a man of God, what it means to be a loving father. And he made a decision at 16, I'm not going to allow my past to define where I'm going. I'm not going to allow what's happened to me to define what happens in me. And he made a decision at 16. And you know what? I'm thankful for that. Because if he didn't make that decision, I wouldn't be here today. Now, I wonder what decisions you need to make today that not will just have an impact today, but will have a generational impact in your grandkids, in, in the future kids maybe that you will have. See, and I love this about Moses is Moses, he was just an ordinary guy, but God calls him out and God says, hey, I'm choosing you. And I feel like God, he wants to say that same thing today. He's choosing you. He's asking us, hey, are we up for it? Are we up for it? Are we up for stepping out? Are we up for just following and living the life that God has called us to live? You don't have to live anybody else's life. You don't have to run in anybody else's lane. God, he's just asking, hey, would you live the life that I've called you to? And why don't we stand in here? We're gonna go into a moment of worship just for a, a, a little bit and then I'm gonna pray for some people. But why don't you think about where you're at and what's going on in your life, and maybe the decisions that you can make today. Maybe it's simple, maybe it seems small, but I really believe they can have a generational impact. So why don't we worship?